The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org. All right, so last week we started a, a conversation, a series entitled Why Jesus Makes Sense, and, and I pointed out to you that you know this kind of came out of a, of a conversation with several of the pastors, and, and, and thinking about this one conversation I had with this young woman about, oh, is Christianity true? I don't know if I can believe that. And I said, well, that's the wrong question. I think the question we should ask is, Jesus makes sense. Then I took that question to a, a meeting with the rest of the pastors. We just you know, began to talk about Easter and what we would say on Easter. And last week, if you recall, you know, we, we talked about uh, that, that Jesus makes sense because he answers a question regarding life. You know, what is life? How do I get life? Um, what, what, what makes me come alive, you know, those kind of things. And, and then we, I think in that, in that conversation, we also discussed that, that some of us are, are the types of people that we take better care of the things that are material than, than are immaterial, that we take better care of our cars, our, our clothes. Our, do you know people who are really into their gardens? Like, Get off my lawn! You know, they're, they're that, like if, if a dog even remotely comes near, they're, you know, they're out there with their water hose and, you know, Get off my lawn! You know, and... and but, but they're such a bitter, awful person. <laughs> like, wow, you know, that amazing lawn, horrible human being, you know. And, and, and yet we've all fallen into that trap that we, we sometimes take better care of the things that, that we own, not knowing that there's so many things that are negative and destructive that are owning us. And I, I think as we talked about life and coming alive, we, we, we recognize that, it, that if, if one thing Jesus answers regarding uh, ourselves and our story is that, Jesus makes sense in response to life. But, you know, now we're going to talk about love. And, um, uh, you know, so here, here's a question. You can, you can raise your hand if you, if you want to. You don't have to. Um, you know, by the way, I, I, let me acknowledge it, and I'm okay with this, so that you guys are like, oh, here. Don't you love the fact that the kids are enjoying themselves that much upstairs? <laughs> like, hey, maybe we should go upstairs. What's going on up there? At any rate, uh, um, so how many of you have ever thought you were in love? Ever? Oh, yeah. Uh, you, you've, okay, just raise your hand if you've ever, you've ever thought you were in love. Just go ahead. All right. Now, you can put them down. How many found out you were wrong? And, <laughs> yeah, hey, almost the same number of hands. You know, you were... <laughs> wait, some of you guys are married. So, uh, wait, Lily raised her hand, and so... Uh, yeah, you know, you're like, oh my gosh, I finally met the one. Whenever, you know, whenever I hear someone say that, okay, I'm giving it, a, you know, two weeks. Sooner or later, the one is going to screw up. And then we'll see how much you loved the one. Or, you know, it, it might have been a day, it could have been a week, you know, a month, a year. But, you know, you found out, oh, apparently I wasn't in love. Or, or okay, you know, now the not-so-funny side of that um, you found out that that person didn't love you. That there was maybe some, you know, maybe they meant it, but it, it was maybe more of an emotional thing, or maybe it was an amazing sexual thing, and it, or you know, maybe it was a little bit of both, but it really wasn't love. You know, not, not in the way that, that stays. If you're defining love, not just the romantic stuff, which is great, and not just the sexual stuff, amen, but, but just the, all the other... Uh, exactly, someone said, uh, sir, but you're not married. And so, the, um, so there's this... Uh, um, no, I'm going to keep going. So there's this so much, uh, you know, you recognize that love, something about love we intuitively know should have some staying power. That it, it'll ride out the ebbs and flows and it'll work and it'll stay. And we're not people capable of doing that. I mean, that's just, that's just the story of us. So we're just not able to do that. 
I was thinking, uh, I, I didn't ask my wife this question because I didn't want to know the answer. So I was wondering about myself. So I asked the question in my own head. And I realized, well, I don't know the answer to the question either. So, so can you remember the, the first time somebody significant told you, I love you? I was thinking, I wonder if Lily recalls the first time I ever told her I love her. It must have been like she, put, she must have put it in her calendar, saves the day, you know, just remembers it all the time, rubs the calendar. Oh, my gosh, that was the day that I finally came alive, you know, I, uh, that Octavio said those words to me. And then I realized, I don't remember when she told me. Maybe she hasn't told me, you know, and... Um, yeah, I'm married 33 years. I can't recall the first time she told me that I love you. But I, then I realized that I can recall many times where it, she didn't say I love you. It was something, you know, and I, I, then I began to recall all the crappy things people have said to me in my life, starting with my folks and then a coach and then a parent and, or a, a, you know, a neighbor, someone I didn't know. And it, it's like, a, wow, I'm a horrible human being. You know? and, I, and I think, what the heck is wrong with me that I can recall like it was treasure, all the negative junk people have said to me, and I can't recall when my wife told me she loved me for the first time. Because that, that should have been a life-changing event, right? I mean, what does that say about us? And, and if you were to ask yourself that same question, you know, like, I can't remember the first time I actually heard my parents say that to me, or maybe, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe they never did, and I, I, I regret that that happened to you. But why is it that we can recall everything that's awful to us and, and not what's been said to us that was beautiful or elegant or healthy or, or life-affirming. I began to realize also that love is often like a, um, uh, like a submarine in water, and it works both ways. You know, you could be that person, like you're, the metaphor fails after a while, but whether you're in the submarine and, and you fail to recognize that you're surrounded by God's love, and you just can't, you cannot exist in it. You can't function in it, because you're just not, you're, you're just not yet made for it. This is why this experience that Jesus talks about being, quote, born again, air quoting it when he said it probably, uh, Nicodemus, you need to be born again, you know. <laughs> All right, nonetheless, that's, th- there is something significant that happens in your life story that shifts who you are, where you actually become alive in another way that you weren't before. You still have the same hair, the same skin, the same, maybe the same job, the same. Life is essentially the same except for it is not the same. You have now moved into a different experience and you could actually live and experience God's love. Or you could be, you know, the submarine could be the love thing and, you, you, know, it, you know, it travels deep in water and, and so there you are floating on the top. You, you cannot access it. All you have is, is, is just opportunities that are just kind of seem to be passing by. You can't really access it. And maybe you've been that person, like where I, I just feel like I see it go by, I, I'm not able to get in. That's it. I'm not able to get in. I'm the outsider. I see that love exists, that love can happen. Uh, I walk into this church or another community, I, friends of mine that have been married or people that I know that are amazing couples. Man, I get they are in love and love is working for them. Yeah, they have their stuff, but generally it works. Why can't I have that situation in my life? So this is what this story is, this is what this conversation is about, you know, why Jesus makes sense regarding love. And so for that reason, I'm going to turn to, oh, what a surprise, the book of John. Um, it's not the only book I've ever read in the Bible, but um, it's the one that matters, El Libro de Juan. So if um, John chapter 4, verses 1 through 26, you know, I'm going to start in verse 7. Um, so Jesus is going to, um, well, if you take Israel the sliver of land, and there's north and south. <clears throat> if you hear 
references to Jerusalem or Judah. That's south. Galilee, um, north. In the middle is a, almost cutting it in half, is an area known as the Decapolis. It has these, it's a huge, significant Greek um, community of 10 Greek cities. So it has a heavy influence in Israel. It's occupied by the Romans, so it has a heavy Roman uh, flavor. Um, there were, you know, many uh, in Jerusalem. There would have been uh, very uh, significant Roman buildings in the time there. But along the coast, off to the west side, is an area known as Samaria. These were people who were half Jews, and uh, they were they weren't really allowed in Jewish culture. Um, you know, that you couldn't take a Jewish person's word in a court. It wasn't accepted. Um, they were. You know, uh, I don't know how to put this without making everybody cringe. But just, just think of a group of people that other people don't like. I'll leave it at that. I'll make you cringe later. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Would you give me a drink? I know it seems like nothing. Uh, it's it just, if you've, if you've been to the Fairfax, West LA, Los Angeles, and you, and you see some of the ascetic Jewish men, you know that they will not talk to a woman. It's just something they just don't do. And so this would have been just as shocking for Jesus to talk to a woman by himself, and she's Samaritan on top of everything else. His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Because you wouldn't take anything from this person. Anything that that person touched, owned, or gave you was dirty and defiled. And it was the sense that, you know, somehow that dirtiness, not, we're not talking gross, like, oh, this is kind of gross. This is weird. It's that it separated you from God, which is so shocking to me that, that you would be thinking in terms of, oh, uh, God loves humanity, he loves me, but I don't want anything from this person because it keeps me from this God. You, you misunderstood God. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews don't associate with Samaritans. It's like the blood in the crypts. So verse 10, Jesus answered her, You know, if you knew that the, uh, the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, the woman said, you, you don't have anything to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? And are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it from himself? And as did also his sons and his flocks and herds. And Jacob is an important figure in, in Jewish history and in the life of this particular ethnic group as well. Who are you? I mean, are you more important than Jacob? You know, who are you? Are you more important than, you know, name the important figure? And then verse 13, Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give I give her will become in her a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So the woman said to her, said to Jesus rather, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to come, keep coming here to draw water. Now, one thing that you don't know in the story, it was in, earlier in the chapter, is that it's the middle of the day and she's coming alone to get water, which is, you know, the hottest part of the day is when you don't do stuff. Which, you know, people have commented, and it makes sense, that this is most likely when she would avoid most people. She's not, she's not a pillar in the community. Let's just say that at this point. So Jesus told her, hey, listen, why don't you go call your husband and come back? Uh, I don't have a husband, weirdo. She replied, 
Jesus said to her, yeah, you're right, you don't have a husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. Awkward. <laughs> what he's saying to her, and, and I'm making a joke because I kind of feel it emotionally. I understand it. You are choosing men who won't choose you. You're right. You've not had no one choose you. You, you feel that now? You're right. You, oh, yeah, you're the kind of woman that chooses men that won't choose her. You're right. You don't have a husband. Changing the subject, um, I think that you're a prophet. Verse 20, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place that we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, there's a time coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain or in, that, or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. Salvation is from the Jews. Yet, there is a time coming, has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his followers must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, um, I know that a Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus said, I'm he. Um, you know, there's so many layers in this conversation. You know, when, when she points out, um, you, you know, she doesn't respond to the, yeah, you're right, you're the, you're the kind of person that is willing to choose people who won't choose her. And by the way, that's, it, it, it cuts both ways. I mean, guys do this too. Um, that he, uh, hey, well, let me ask you a theological question. Uh, let me ask you, you know, have you, have you noticed that she doesn't really address that, which is pretty point blank. Have you noticed that Jesus is the kind of person that can ask questions that no one else can? I don't mean like he can get away with it. I mean he can get away with it. You know, like I remember this one question where this guy was was paralyzed and was from birth, and he was you know sitting by this pool of water in Jerusalem, and and said he had been there for a long, long time. And I can only imagine this poor guy living in his own filth and and, and begging and just outcast. And and so Jesus walks by. Oh, do you want to get well? No, I love it here. You know, like, like, like this is good. Thanks. No, please don't heal me. You know, I like, go. It just sounds so sarcastic, but only Jesus can get away with asking certain questions, right? Because there's a reason to ask the question. It's to bring something out from the person. And if you know that story, John chapter 5, which was a yes and no question, he, the person who was paralyzed from birth gives reasons why he can't get well. It's almost like, I don't even want to hope for that. What do you mean, do I want to get well? Aren't you glad that we live in a culture and time where a person's gender or race or sexual life doesn't keep them from opportunities in their future? I mean, we're better than that, right? Surely we're not like, we would never treat this Samaritan woman like, because like, oh, this is 2012. We're much more enlightened than to let someone's gender and, and ethnic background and the way they manage their sexual life interfere with our interaction with them. See, what gets me about this story, I think that it's, it's the desperation I feel for this woman. I, I remember, I, I, I've, I've, I'm so drawn to the stories in John because it just you know, gives different paintings and pictures of Jesus. And, and I, I just think of the desperate person who is so wanting to be chosen to be loved. 
that they're willing to choose someone who really doesn't choose them and then, pretend not to, and then they pretend not to know it. You know, all of us, I think, have maybe either know someone in that relationship or we've been in that relationship. And Jesus comes along and says, I'll choose you even if you don't choose me. I'll actually take your place. I'll experience what it's like to, to not be loved even though I'm an incredible lover. You know, you, you want passion and romance and something wild, you know. <laughs> you won't be able to handle me. This is why I think at times we, we kind of push back, and I mentioned that, that part of the reason why we push back with Jesus is that it's personal. You're the, you're the kind of person that would choose others who won't choose them, but I'm the kind of person that would choose you when you don't choose me. That's how much I love you. I was uh, speaking to a friend last night. Uh, we were talking about this whole thing. He goes, so let me get this straight. You're saying that God just is motivated by love. Yes. And that's, and that's his method. Yes. So he's just, he's just going to love people. Yes. <laughs> I mean, is, is there something else you see in the story? I don't, no matter how you read the scriptures, if God exists, I think he does, and if he's all that, and I think he is, couldn't he just show up and say, hey, I'm here? And be, it'd be overwhelming Right? And many of us would not, would like, oh my gosh, you're here. Yes, I will, you know, man, I have, what was I thinking? I am so, let me put this out, hold on a second. And I'll, I'll you know, be with, man, I'm going to be straight and true. I'm going to follow you. Wow, this is overwhelming. He doesn't overwhelm us. He just loves us and he bets the farm that I, by love alone, you'll be drawn. First, John talks about this. That we love him because he first loved us. See, to me, it's not, um, it's not surprising that people love God. Right? It's hard, but it's not surprising to me that people love God. Why? Well, here's an amazing person who says, I know everything about you. I know your, your, your weird thoughts. I know some of your good stuff. I, I, I was intimately involved in when you were formed in darkness. I... I have a plan for you. And not only do I care about you, but I can pull it off. You know, your parents may love you. A coach may love you. A teacher may care about you. And they may want the best for you, but, you know, but they don't have the ability to make it happen all the time. God says, oh, I, I'm able to do that. Even the stuff that's dead in your life, that's been twisted and deformed, I can bring it back to life. And all the, uh, the hope and the dreams you have of things that could have been, I can make those things happen for you. I, I'm not surprised when you love this being. And, and by the way, I'm so incredibly for you, and you're going to be unfaithful to me, you're going to insult me, you're going to deny me, I will never, ever stop loving you. I am committed, I'm in, you know, I'm married to you, we're, we're good. I know you're going to wander, I know you'll forget me, I will always be here. I'm not, I'm not surprised when, when, you know, we love that person, Right? I'm surprised he loves us. That's a surprise, isn't it? I'm, it it's a surprise when I see people actually care for each other. Because, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I've read your emails. I know what some of you are like. You know, and, uh, this is, is it, that's what's incredible to me. But see, we're first able to love each other well because he loves us forever. That's what love is. Jesus, um, if anything demonstrates or speaks about his life, it has to be love. And somebody would say, well, you know, he, uh, he 
got this whip and he was like lost his temper and he went nuts at the temple. What was happening at that moment? Here were people who should have known better, who should have cared, who had the responsibility of the spiritual condition of folk coming to the temple, who were actually keeping people from experiencing God by the way that they handled their money, the way they, they handled the whole experience. And this is what Jesus was angry at. You recall from a conversation we had last year, what is anger? Love and motion. Anger is always an expression of defense or stopping. It's explosive because it's meant to stop the threat to the person or the thing that I love. And as we talked about that further, we realized that, well, gosh, but then when I'm angry, I need to ask myself, what am I defending? One of the... um, other verses that I've, I've tried to, you know, uh, make it one of those life verses to remember how to treat people is found in John chapter 13, and it's repeated in John 15. Let me read it to you. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you're my disciples, my students, my followers, if you love one another. Chapter 15, verse 12. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, and they lay down their life for their friends. I think we all love great, epic love stories. Um, what, I'm just, you know, this will be a bit of a dialogue now. Favorite love story? You just shout it out. Yeah, that's cool. Good story, yeah. I mean, I get that. Are you talking about him and the love of his country? His wife? Of course, my wife said that. His wife. <laughs> he was destroyed because his wife died. Yes, honey, you're right. <laughs> Nick, you're crazy. Uh, what, what, what love? Oh, and the French, with well, the French woman, yes. Did you say, did you say the French chick? Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, who else? A walk in the A walk in the clouds. Well, isn't that what the Canel Reeves? Yeah. So even with him, it's still a great love story. <laughs> you know what? I, I was that guy. <laughs> my kids are all there, like, oh my gosh, we're gonna, you know, because I'm so glad I'm done with Disney, you know, and all that, right? Because I would cry at Disney movies like a little girl. <laughs> or was I a little big, a big baby? That's funny. It's a little girl or a big baby. Did you never, when Beast died and the pedal falls. That's it? Is that it? Is that what happened, kids? <laughs> I'm obliging. I cried. <laughs> then you got to do that thing. I'm not crying. Shut up, you are. But I did also for Ariel when the dad takes her place. I thought, there's the cry story, right? That's it. Yeah. Well, okay, what else? Casa, oh, Casablanca. Yes, he does the right thing. Tells her to go back to his wife. I mean, the wife that goes back to her husband. <laughs> Sorry. That was the other version. That was the, uh, <laughs> yes, Casablanca. And, you know, hello, Humphrey Bogart. Makes me want to wear a fedora right now. One more, two more. Oh, yes. That was a cute film. I think I've seen it twice, where he, he gives up the money and the publicity and the, and the fame to protect her and just that whole... Okay, one last good one. (laughs) 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 
I said good one. <laughs> oh. Okay, it's got Ryan Gosling. That's right. Does that guy do anything wrong? No. He stops a fight. He actually, did you hear that he uh, pushed this woman out from an oncoming car? I'm beginning to think these are staged now. This guy is staging these things. He's, he brings his mom to an Academy Award show or something, you know, like, come on, dude. <laughs> he dresses well, he's young, he's handsome, he's got money. He should die. Just, just. <laughs> You've had more life than any of us will ever have in a lifetime. Young man, so get off the planet. Make some room for the rest of us. That's right. <laughs> Ryan Gosling. Um, dreamy. You know what's interesting, though? If, if you look at a lot of the uh, love stories that compel us, is that at some level, you, you see that it, it, there's a sacrifice. There's, there's a huge sacrifice that's made. Right? Jesus, if, if Jesus is anything, he's that ultimate display of that sacrifice. I mean, he, like the, the, the amazing song that Nick sang here that he wrote, the free song, um, it's not that the freedom of living a follower, as a follower of Jesus is meant to say, oh, well, I can do whatever. And Paul says to a large extent, hey man, I am no longer bound by a list of guidelines and rules. I'm I'm free. But it, the freedom is, is meant to direct us to actually live, in a sense, the way that God would have us live. And I mean, I know when I say that, that sounds so confining and so restrictive, but it's a, it's a freedom to live freely in life. Like I, Paul says, he would say, I mean, I, everything, I, everything's open to me, but not everything is beneficial for me. So Jesus comes, sets us free, and we can finally love each other in a way that's that's not consuming and clawing and clinging to each other. You've all been those people where the person that you think loves you or you think you love is leaving, and you you hang on. You're trying for your your might to keep it working. You humiliate yourself to try to keep it working. That's not love, man. Let me ask you, this is the same conversation from last night with this fellow. You know, he says, so what's the opposite of love? I said, hate. I mean, I'm sorry. He said, hate. I go, no, it's apathy. I don't care. I mean, because see, when, when, when you are, when you think you love or you love, you love somebody and they hurt you, there's anger usually. And you can only sustain anger for so long or, for, or so much and then it becomes, you know, um, I'd rather you hurt, forgive me, when you're hurt by somebody, you can only sustain that pain for so long. Then it becomes anger, and that anger burns and continues to, and it morphs and it becomes hatred. But after a while, it then just becomes apathy, where I just don't even care. It begins to deaden your soul. So you know, I, I've often joked with people that if a mistake happens and it's not, you know, I'm sorry, okay, well, you're dead to me, you know. But there was a time when I wasn't a joke. I mean, I would just move right through the process, and you're dead to me. That's just how I used to manage my, my father's stuff and that, that, that twisted relationship that I had with him until I was able to move into forgiveness. Is that, you know, because you can't sustain pain for so long and you can only be angry for so long. So then you just move to a place of, uh, of apathy. And so when I know when someone is really almost apathetic and I don't care, man, I just doesn't, I, wow, they have, they are in that much pain that they've had to move through that entire process to get here because that's the only place that they can uh, function and stay normal. I cannot revisit that pain. 
Jesus sets us free to love people, to be able to forgive people. So that we don't have to live in pain, we don't have to live in anger, we don't have to live in apathy. We know from previous conversations that, that this is the kind of love when it's healthy, that when it's happened to many of us, I believe, here in this room, that when, when someone does love you well, and, and it's the kind of love that, that exhibits or mimics the love that God has for us, that it makes you stronger, it just makes you healthy as a person. They begin to call out things in you that, that, that they see that are good about you. They, 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 you know what it says when someone loves you? Is that I believe in your future. I'm excited about your future. I know who you can become. I don't just love you now, but I love you who you're also going to become. I love the person that you're becoming. And when you love somebody in that way, it, it, it makes you courageous because you risk having someone just you know, crap all over your heart. If you're a parent, you've had this as a kid. I mean, your kids have done this to you once or twice, at least. Um, which is the most disordered, dysfunctional understanding of love, right? Because you know, we've talked about this before. That even if you're a lousy parent, you still do stuff for your kids that, that you, don't, you don't even do for your spouse. And uh, so then when that kid you know, yells at you in anger, oh, you don't love me, you don't know what you're talking about, I'm like... And there's, there's no way to reason with somebody when they're that crazy, right? You have to hit them. <laughs> it's because I love you. Boosh! It's, you know, I, there's a place for violence. I just... <laughs> yeah. God is love. First John 4, 8, verse 8 and 16 says this, Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Verse 16, And we know and rely on the love of God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. You know, if, if you're the kind of, if you're the person who saying that you're a Christian, um, you know, that's not an identifier for you. You would never say, I'm a follower of Jesus. You know, I'm spiritual. Oh, I go to this church and a bar and whatever, you know, whatever you, however you say. But you, don't, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian or a follower of Jesus yet. I'm going to suggest something to you. Not only have you been hearing the voices of God before you got here, and I recognize that we didn't bring Jesus to you. We're just helping you identify the voice. But if you've ever loved somebody where you love them in a healthy manner, and they even chose not to love you back, that you were actually beginning to mimic and move in the pattern of God's love. Uh, a couple weeks ago, a friend of my daughter's, uh, just a, a very lovely young woman, I invited her to our Easter gathering, and she said, oh yeah, I have plans, I have commitment, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be visiting a, a friend, an old friend. And I said, oh, are you visiting, uh, well, his name is Marvin. She said, oh yes, I'm visiting Marvin. I said, you know, I, I know you don't go to church anywhere. It's not maybe on your radar, but you are more of a Christian than Christians I know. <laughs> she responded back, I think, you make that as a, I think you mean that as a compliment, so that's what I'll take it as. <laughs> yes, I do mean that as a compliment. See, because she has this young woman. She's in her late 20s, gifted, attractive, interesting, winsome, and she spends her free time visiting a shut-in. And I think, you know, I, I, I recognize that, that there's, a, there's a part of me at times that doesn't want to maybe, you know, love other people as God would have us love. And, and yet, what does is, what is James, the brother of Jesus, write about what true religion is supposed to be like? 
taking care of widows, taking care of orphans, taking care of people that are forgotten, overlooked, loving people. You know, as the conversation went last night, we talked about um, friendships and, you know, how we're doing in that area of our lives. And I said, yeah, you know, I, I, I think people would say overall that I'm this friendly person, but I, I know what goes on in my heart. And I, and I recognize that I, I think it, there's times where I just, I hesitate for, I don't know, maybe I'm not certain, I, I don't know. I hope it's not that I somehow think in my head they're not worth it. That'd be awful. I guess it's possible. But I, I recognize there, there's a place where I, I, I stop. You follow? And I, I want to get to a place where I'm, I'm loving people the way uh, God loved people. But it requires a sacrifice, which means something about me has to die or cease to exist. And this is where, again, that personal thing about Jesus comes into play. Where I'm like, wow, that's... Hey, I'm glad that I'm healthier. I'm glad my marriage is working. I'm glad to be part of this community. But I don't want to get healthy that way. It's, it's funny. We talk about resurrection and new life in God. But see, anything that's new life means that it was dead before... <laughs> Or I have to put it to death. And I'm not really fond of that process. But see, if, if I claim to be a follower of Jesus and a, a God person, I must be a person that continues to dwell on what God has done for me to the point where it's actually transformational to me. Now, here's, here's what I'm not saying. I know that there are some of you that might be thinking, yeah, I'm not a loving person. I need to be more loving. And you're going to walk out of here trying to be more loving. Please don't. It'll be phony. It'll be inauthentic. And it's not from you. It's not sustainable. And, and then you'll be frustrated. And you'll think, oh, man, that guy up there with the microphone wearing that very loud lime green shirt, it's, he just didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> I, I do know what I'm talking about. So I'm going to tell you, don't try to be a loving person. You won't be able to do it. When you understand how God has loved you, that changes you from the inside out and then you become more like Him. See, I recognize that in many cases that what we do with folks, well-meaning, is that we try to manage their behavior instead of creating the environment where their souls can be transformed. When I recognize what God has done for me, that is transformative. This is why things like forgiveness and loving other people... It's not a pass. It's not just something I should do because oh, it's, it's the right thing to do. No, because it has a power and an energy to transform lives. First of all, the person who's forgiving and the one who's being forgiven. When I understand what God, how God loves me, it has the ability to transform not first just me and then the people I touch. When I love the way God loves. When I understand how He loves me. The essence of God is love. And even though God is all-powerful, the scriptures don't say God is power. Even though he's all-knowing, God is knowledge. You know? But one thing that God, is, the scriptures point to over and over again, if, there, if there's anything that defines God, if there's one way to sum him up, if there's, if there's anything that could actually clearly, succinctly in one sentence say who God is, this is it, God is love. Uh, how many of you know the author E.O. Wilson? Quest for One String Theory? Okay, so he's looking for the, one, the unifying theory of the universe, right? It's love. That's the unifying principle of the universe. I, I don't mean this, and I'm not trying to be clever or mystical. It's just, that's the truth. The most often quoted scripture in the, in, in the Bible, world, you know, around the world, translated in more languages than any other part of the Bible. What is it? John 3.16. It says, God so loved people. God so loved 
nature, God so loved horses, God so loved plants, God so loved fashion. I get that. God so loved, right? No, it says God so loved the world. And if I understand correctly, that is the word cosmos for the entire universe. I love everything about what I made. We are his special creation, but he, I love everything that I've made. It's all good to me. And to put it back in right order, I sent my son to pay for our crimes so that we could become more like our Savior and love like him and put everything back in its original state. That's, that's the whole plan or the whole story of the scripture is God putting back everything the way it was meant to be, restoring back to its original order, starting with us. Love creates security, removes fear. Um, oh gosh, don't you remember those moments? Not me, I've heard, but you wonder, how can I keep the person loving me who, who I, I hope loves me? So you check up on them. You've been that person where you checked your friend's phone? Who did they call? Who did they text? You want their email account, password? Who's this person? It's my mom, dude. Yes, but still, the way you said you love her is weird. <laughs> it was Mother's Day. How come I don't have a day? And then you turn, you turn into that person. That's the laughter familiarity right there. I want you to understand that if you're going to step into this moment with Jesus, that um, there is some risk involved. The risk is, is that you will experience an amazing outpouring of God's love in your heart and, and someone will break it because you want to love them into the kingdom and they'll say no. Love, love, is, um, love helps you become courageous. It, you know what love is also saying? I think I said this a moment ago. Love, love is God saying to us, and I'm, I'm for your future. That's what we say to others when we love them. It, it, it helps, I think, break our struggle with living life. It's the antidote to the human condition. Have you met, have you met somebody who, who is a loner that is like happy and an interesting person? Don't you notice how people who tend to be alone are just bitter and weird? See, that's just how we will go. And what's even stranger to me, or rather what's amazing to me, is having somebody in your life who will love you into health. You, you've had this happen to us, or at least you've seen it happen. You've seen the story, you know, the bitter old person, or the, never makes sense to me, the person like Jennifer Aniston that can't find love. Okay. <laughs> or the guy that's amazingly handsome, he can't find love. Oh, okay. But, but, you know, the story is, is that once they find love, they become this amazing person. Oh, they're happier, right? Well, that's, don't, don't you want to believe that? That that's possible? That there's somebody that, that can actually love you and make you into a person that matters? Someone that actually does say, I choose you? That's the story of God. That's the story of Jesus. God is love. He's the source of love. And, and as we love people well, that's an expression of his divine image on us. And to become more like Christ, look, back up. You will never hear from me 
a list of things not to do. I may ask you, well, if that's working for you, go nuts. But you and I will know the only thing you should measure your life by is how well you're doing in comparison to Jesus. At least that's what Paul says. So I think I'm on pretty good ground. Everybody's got some list of what you shouldn't be doing this, don't wear a graphic t-shirt, how come, how come you have long hair, what are you tatted, or, you know, I, I've lived through all that, it's just stupid, what a waste of time, ridiculous waste of time. And then of course if you're older, like my wife and I are, in our, our generation, then you're worried about anybody who's in their 20s having sex. Oh my gosh! Like we forgot when, when we were in our 20s, and looking for someone to love us. When you discover what God has done for you, what Jesus loves you, I'm, I'm, here's what I'm convinced of. I'm, I'm, I trust the power of God and the scriptures and prayer that that will change you. You've heard me say this before, right? Love moderates what? Behavior. You, and you've seen this happen over and over again. And, it, and it, by the way, it doesn't even feel like it's stifling. I think it was a couple years ago I talked about this. A group of guys are all stupid, right? Because they're guys. And then a girl walks by, guy leaves, oh, goodbye. You guys, this, she smells so much better and skin softer, uh, bye, you know. And then, of course, the rest of the guys who can't find love are like, oh, you're stupid, man, blah, 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 you're stupid. <laughs> whoopsh, whoopsh, you know, right? And from the outside, it looks like that guy, oh, my God, that guy just lost his head, he's stupid, he lost his life, he's dead, right? But what is that guy experiencing, generally? Heaven, I'm just, this is great, you know, ah, I'm in love, you know, right? See, this is what happens when you, when you connect with God through our Savior Jesus and fall in love with Jesus, is to others it's going to seem nuts. But for you, you're experiencing a bit of heaven on earth finally. To become more like Christ is to be, be defined by love. And, and let me also explain one more thing. And then we're going to be get, getting ready to close. A person who is um, studying interesting classic authors and writers from the Christian genre and like, oh, that's fantastic information and interesting. Um, you, you, you approach the scriptures in a very systematic fashion. It might be theology and all that. Awesome, good for you. But if that information doesn't exercise the same muscle of knowing God, well, back up. If that doesn't exercise this muscle of love in you, it's, it's, it's going to kill you. It, it'll be, you'll think that you're experiencing God because you have information and you'll end up um, wondering, you'll end up becoming this, this bitter, ugly, nasty person that really does not exhibit God at all or have any kind of pleasure and joy in their life. And so how else can, how can you give something else to somebody, how can you give pleasure and joy to someone else well you have a list of rules you'll just, just be a weird awful person at least a bad representation of what Christ is like I, I am convinced of this if you even tentatively like dipping your toe say look I'm this is this is interesting I'm willing to become a follower of Jesus I don't get it all I don't understand it all Fine, no one does it first. But if Jesus is the answer to love in my life, 
I'm in. You will experience new life. It's, it's impossible not to. If you commit yourselves to the care of God and allow Him to share with you how much He loves you, that's just transformative. You cannot not be moved or changed by that. If you're trying to learn about Jesus to get Jesus, good luck. If you're trying to, well, maybe, maybe I should be better. Oh, that hasn't worked for me. You know, because my wife will often say, why can't you be nice? I'm not. I don't know. You ought to know by now, 33 years into this. But I know this, that when, I'm, when I spend the time with Christ and have him speak to my soul, I was there when you were born. I was excited when I heard you cry out. Remember when you took your first steps? And those moments when you were felt incredibly alone. I understood that and I felt it too. When you would self-injure, it cut me as well. And when you were angry at me, thinking I had abandoned you, yelling at me, I was standing right next to you. I don't know how to explain this any further than to say I understand Christ because I've experienced his love. And even when I don't get certain things, that's the one thing that's been the compelling motivation to continue to follow Christ. It's incredibly attractive. In closing, I've, I've, I've said in, in wedding talks that I've done that all of us enjoy romantic stories um, we want to believe in happy endings and romance and love. And I've said that because of that, it tells me that without even saying his name, we want to believe in Christ. See, because God, Jesus is God. And God is love. And that's another reason why Jesus makes sense. Because he loves you. Father, sometimes I feel the words escape me to convey what it is to be loved by you. So I, 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 I pray for your voice to speak that into the lives of my friends and family members here, people who are visiting, that you would explain and speak into their soul the love you have for them in, in words that are life-changing, life-giving. I, I pray that light, the, the, the light of hope will begin to just begin to illumine our minds and our souls that we can be different. That we could be your sons and daughters, that you could actually love us in a way that you would embrace us, welcome us. I pray, Father, that that knowledge of love would be a transformative power that, that changes and defines us that we would be known in this community as a community that loves people and then mimics you because of that. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier.
a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.